0: Hello and welcome to another packed episode of Back to Britpop, it's me Chris. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Rick McMurray of Ash. Ash formed in 1989, they're from Downpatrick in Northern Ireland and they had massive success in the early 90s and all the way through the noughties as well. Rick focuses on the early years of the band, how they got together, the writing processes, touring, record deals, loads of stuff. It's really round, so I won't waffle, but remember I'm back at the end to talk about all the other bits and pieces, so stick around for that. In the meantime, here's Rick. Welcome to the podcast, Rick McMurray, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm up here in uh,
1: in uh, windy Edinburgh, where I live. So, yeah, I've, I've been here obviously since uh, March the 16th, which was uh, the day we we announced our tour was cancelling,
0: unfortunately. So,
1: yeah, just, just riding out the lockdown as, uh, as we
0: all are. Has your lockdown experience thrown up any sort of surprises? Have you got to grips with anything that you've kind of been putting off over the years? Or has it been a thoroughly depressing affair like most of us?
1: it's been yeah it's been a learning experience and trying to sort of like take the best out of it and you know just it's been an interesting sort of mental health journey i remember right at the start of it it's just like for the, for the first know, month after we cancelled our uk tour because we, we were actually touring in uh, europe at the time and uh, we'd done like sort of i think it was like two and a half three weeks uh, around europe before the uk tour was due to start so it really felt like unfinished business Mm. At that point, it was like just very difficult to kind of accept. And obviously, you know, we're thinking, you know, a couple of months down the line, we'll, you know, we'll get through the summer and then we'll do the tour in, in the autumn instead. But, you know, very shortly after that, we came to the realization that this is going to be a longer thing. So, yeah, I think when the tour moved to where it is now, which is basically it's all happening like exactly a year after it should have,
0: mm.
1: it took it took a little while to kind of adjust to that reality. As well, but yeah, I, mean, I guess it's been sort of just kind of looking after myself mentally has been become like a big priority.
0: Are you getting to play the uh, the drums uh, at home, or, or is that yeah?
1: I've got, I've got drums set up, uh, I've got like a, a room with like drum kits and, and guitar, and I've, I've delved into playing guitar actually quite a bit in the last sort of two months, I think, which is something I haven't done for a long time as well. Um, we're really quite getting into it and sort of falling in love with that side of stuff as well, so yeah. Yeah, the drummers taken taken a little bit of a backseat. I've got I've got a little kind of like practice routine I just run through just to keep my keep myself sort of you know physically capable every day <laughs> as well. So yeah, it's, it's only sort of like twenty minutes, but I feel like I do that and then
0: I can sort of like get on with the rest of my day and sort of to, to do maybe more creative things away from the drum kit. Who are your um drummer icons uh, growing up? What got you into hitting the uh, skins in the first place?
1: Um. I think I think I, I started off. I think I was like a, a metal kid around the age of like eleven or twelve. And I think I remember having a conversation with my brother, sort of saying, "What do you think the easiest job in a band is?" I think it was like drums. And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I was I, I was playing guitar at that point, but I sort of forgot about it. And then I think it was, or it was only it was maybe like about a year later, where I, I don't know, don't really know what happened. I was just li- listening. I can't even remember what it was listening to, but. I just became like suddenly sort of very aware of what the drums were doing for some mm. reason, and was just like started just tapping on my fingers. I was like, "Yeah, I could, I could kind of do this," and it just sort of grew from there. Really, I got a pair of drumsticks, and, and uh, I think I think my parents ended up surprising me. Just I think it was February, February. It wasn't it wasn't Christmas, and it wasn't my birthday, but they turned up with a drum kit. I think they'd sort of given up on me ever finding any friends in my teenage years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah I just like turned up with his drum kit and I was just kind of blown away by it so yeah I just got into it from there and taught myself really ever ever since that, that time where I was just like oh, yeah I was just like noticing the drums and music it was just like I've got to get into this and uh, mm. yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting one as well because I think a lot of the time was you know certainly in, in Ash as well it's like and I find this sort of like writing my own stuff as well it's like it's really hard to tell if anything's good or not or not hmm. until drums are involved in it you know it's like you, you can write you can write a riff and you're just like ah, oh, is, is this great and then you're just like i don't know is it great and anytime i sort of like put drums with anything i'm doing it's just like right okay yeah that's good and i think i think tim can be he can be quite similar as well until he's sort of got my drums on it he's just always wondering whether the idea has actually got any merit in it or not
0: yeah did, did it yeah. used to annoy you uh rick when you were recording and um bass players and guitarists and, and vocalists used to tell you what to do in terms of, I'm thinking of this song and it's got like, I need you to do like a do do do, 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 do And you're like, yeah, okay. That's, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a funny one. Cause
1: I, I guess you're know, musically uh, when, you know, I, I guess if you're communicating an idea from guitar to bass, you know, it translates really easily and you just go like, play this. And it's like, it's these notes. Mm. and it's it's a very right okay that's that's what it is but i think with, with, with other musicians trying to communicate they, they might hear something in their head sort of drum wise um mm. but the ability to actually vocalize what they what they mean it can be can be quite difficult at times you can go on kind of hear it like this you kind of play what you think that they're trying to communicate and then it's yeah it's it, i guess it's a it's a weird kind of language
0: thing did you guys have like a, a kind of vision in terms of what sound you wanted? Because you, you formed right at the end of 89, I guess, and in sort of early 90s is when you started to write and record and play live. Yeah. But was there like an agenda or was there like a, a manifesto in terms of what you wanted? Not really.
1: I think we've, we've kind of been around the houses, you know, musically, I think, um, in terms of, you know, I think when Tim and Mark started playing, like 1989, they were, they were... Like myself, although I didn't know them until a few years later, they were like proper metal kids, and I think stuff started turning into. It wasn't necessarily Ash, but I think they they were always you know they started writing songs because they didn't have the technical ability to play covers of the music they were listening to. Hmm. So yeah, and there's it's, I guess there's a lot of like, very much DIY ethic there, but I think I think the main influence I think in in the early days when when I joined the band and we became Ash Um, like Nirvana was like a huge thing and that was like a I guess it was a a musical sea change and a cultural sea change and we really you know got on board with that you know that's that's what we wanted to sound like and whether we did or not it's another thing yeah yeah (laughs) Um, you know that 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 was like a you know a a huge touchstone to to us and to like every band that we knew as well we're
0: it was a very different sound. Obviously, there was lots going on in the 90s. I mean, the, the podcast is called Back to Britpop, but it isn't, you know, necessarily uh, wholly looking at bands that pigeonholed into that sound. It's just about the 90, 90s indie scene, if you like. And, uh, you know, you, you deliberately distance yourself from Britpop in terms of, uh, you know, it was a word or a buzzword, if anything, anyway. It, were you conscious about what was going on in the music scene in, in Britain and everything, you know, and how that explosion of sound... and
1: yeah yeah definitely i mean i guess i mean there was such, there was uh, things were going in all sorts of different directions in the early 90s you know you had obviously the explosion of the grunge music in 91 but there's 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 a lot of stuff going on i mean you can even go back to like 89 and stone roses and stuff and you know we, i guess you know 92 i think me and tim became like really big suede fans i remember seeing them at top of the pops and i was just like this is such a cool band and I guess that that was before the Brit, Brit pop had been properly like coined as a term. Mm. Was, you know, there's I think I think a lot of that early period was it was really about the diversity that was going on. You know, as we were into stuff like, ride, like as I said, Squid, the auteurs, early blur stuff, and you know there was, I guess, was new wave, new wave stuff kicking around as well. So it was mm. it was real kind of mishmash of stuff before like. Britpop became this sort of like cultural, culturally ascended. Yeah, for want of a better term. Yeah, I mean, that was a, It was it was an, an interesting time, and I, I think there was a lot of. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure when the term Britpop really became became a thing, but you know, it was like stuff like I think His and Hers was the first pop album I got, and I thought that was that was a great record. As well, but yeah, just that that period just seemed to be you know you'd be be listening to punk music and then putting on something like the atours like straight after it and it was just that yeah there's just the music scene seemed quite wide open and i get maybe that's because you know we were like you know a few years before that we were like died in the wool sort of metal fans and that was all we would listen to but yeah it was like i guess the nirvana thing really really kind of opened it up opened us up musical musically and got us interested and listened to other things obviously like you know Uh, reading about you know like Kurt Cobain's favorite bands you know everything from Abbott to Black Sabbath and you know it was like they were being supported by like Breeders, Teenage Fan Club, Pixies were a huge influence as well so yeah we were taking stuff from anywhere and everywhere.
0: You were were formed obviously in in Northern Ireland, County Down, what kind of scene was going on there at the time? Were you itching to sort of make yourself known, uh, you know, in, in England at all? Was there sort of like a, a need to go across, you know, and tour and, uh, and sort of um, treasure yeah. wares? Yeah,
1: I mean, there was, yeah, there was definitely a scene. I mean, I guess even in our hometown of Dunpatrick, you know, when, when Nirvana happened, there was God knows how many bands there were in like 1992. I mean, it's, it was, it's like a, a town of like, I think back then, it was about a population of 15,000 people, but there seemed to be about 20 bands which for us seemed like, you know, quite a lot. I guess, you know, coming from Northern Ireland as well, I mean, I guess in, the, in our younger years, we there wasn't really many bands that we were aware of that were from Northern Ireland. I mean, it wasn't until after sort of we were, you know, it was, I think it was around the time that we were signing a record deal we became aware of even the Undertones personally. Um, I guess there's, I think, you know, just as we were getting started, there was like therapy and that was, that was a big deal as well because that was like, oh, wow there's there's music from here that's being released and they're going to turn the world and people are writing about them in these magazines and stuff and that was that was a huge deal It was like op- opened it up that yeah, people from here can do this hmm. as well and that was that was like a really empowering
0: kind of moment for us you're kind of. Career with with Ash, if you like, started. You were both, you were all very long, young, weren't you? It's kind of like your first sort of homegrown recordings and, and things um happened when you were what? You were sort of eighteen or, or a little bit older.
1: Oh no, you were younger than that. Younger. I, think, uh, I think I joined the band just before I turned sixteen. Like the other two were born in seventy seven. Obviously, with the the album title, I was a couple of years before.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I
1: mean, the, yeah, they've been they been playing together in bands. That, like they got guitars and formed a band the same day they got guitars basically when they were like eleven years old so you know it's a, it's a, a frightening amount of their life that they've spent in bands um and obviously myself as well you know yeah a whole a whole four year four years later I was in a band but yeah um yeah we we were we were very young but we we're funny we were, we were naively ambitious as well we we like you know rehearse and write songs and we're just, just, you know, if we weren't doing that, we're taking a break and just like scratching our heads going like, how do we get a record deal? Mm. What a, you know, we, we had no idea what we should be doing to get it, but
0: we, we did often talk about it. So the first, the first kind of mini album trailer was at 94. From your memory, when did, did things start to happen in terms of record interest or record label interest and sort of A&R and things like that? Was there like a moment that you remember?
1: um i remember and i'm struggling to remember the name of the label but we actually it was daisy the same label that put out it was one little indian that's who it was who um we knew them through daisy chainsaw um i don't know if you remember those guys
0: yeah yeah
1: i think we for the first few gigs we did a cover of love your money which was great fun but yeah I I, i Struggling, I, I'm not sure how they got got to know about us, but we did have a little bit of interest from them, and this was probably maybe 1993, and then suddenly it, it all went very cold. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, this is us as you know disillusioned 16 year year, year olds going, God, we're, we're never going to get a record deal. <laughs> but then I think it was it was about a year later with this um, a friend of ours, Bill, who was who'd sort of taken on the the, the role of manager and was just like, he was, he was setting up his own fanzine and he would, it was like a touch with like PR people in, in in London to just like, you know, go, I've got a fanzine and sort of blagging like promo copies of stuff to review the fanzine and stuff like that. But also like sending out our our demo tapes and uh, it was Paddy Davis who at the time was at Bad Moon. He was like PR and they, they did like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and stuff like that his wife was actually from don patrick so i think that kind of like he was like oh well I'll better take a listen to this then this this, this could be interesting mm-hmm. that, having that link and he he played it and he was like i really like this song and like next door to their office was um there was a radio plugger who he was good friends with and he was just like hey have a listen to this and he uh the radio plugger guy had his own like sort of one-off kind of like seven inches he was putting out like seven inches like just one-off stuff. And he was like, oh, I really like this. I want to uh, give him money to record it in like a proper studio. So we put we put out, it was Jack Names the Planets. And the guy who was putting that out was uh, S- Stephen Tavner, who's to this day is our manager. We, we put it out. And we, put, we were doing like a gig in Belfast to, to launch it. And uh, I want to say, was, it, was that early 94? Or maybe late 93? But yeah, we were putting that out. When he, he came over for it, and uh, we were like, "We really need, we really need a proper manager," mm-hmm. and, he, and he was like, "All right, I'll do it." Then. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: So a lot of it. Sort of is not goodwill, but it's based on a, a kind of like a feeling and a hunch, isn't it, from somebody that's associated with something or just feel something, and uh, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, I, I guess just that, that little connection was enough to you know, yeah. get, get you know, get someone to sort of like you know, listen to something. You know, it was like, who knows if that connection had, hadn't
0: been there? Did you know that I guess at the time you were you were in a, in a really fortunate position to be so young and your first kind of outing as a, in a, in a band, you know, and the quality of what you were putting together was enough to sort of to sort of get you where you wanted to go ultimately. I mean, because it, it's not like that for 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 hundreds of bands, is it? And just that little nugget of something that just like you know names the planets, just yeah.
1: I think I think when the uh, well, I think when Tim wrote it and they played it, played it to us, we kind of knew that this was like a big kind of step up songwriting wise. The band, there was just like it was like something about it. It felt like really, really kind of fully formed, and uh, you know, it's like just you know, a- anyone who we, we we played it to and you know, playing it live and stuff, people people would sit up and take notice. Because I think it was uh, it was Tim, Tim and Mark as well. Like before before Ashley started, and they were in other bands and. I think their other bands were a bit, you know, there there was a few uh, they just weren't weren't great, and but they're, they're playing with the kids who are like in in other bands who are a few years older and just like better. <laughs> mm. uh, I, I I remember seeing them as well, and it was just like I was like, yeah, this is it's a bit weird, but you know, the, you know, at least these two can play. You can clearly see that you know Tim and Mark could both play, but it was just the rest of the band wasn't right. So I think from a very young age, they they had a point to prove, I think. Mm. And uh, when we were, we were kind of getting, you know, when, when people heard Jack Gings Planets, like other bands and stuff like that, they were just they were going like, wow, that's you guys were good. You know, it was like, people people were kind of shocked that these, these, these little kids
0: who were like trying to get gigs with them were suddenly actually sound really like a proper band, you know? Yeah, I think what, what set you guys apart as well, in a way is, you know, you were young, and you're the same age as me. I was born in 77. And I just remember looking at uh, what you guys were doing and it felt like you could do it. You know, I was in many bands playing in school halls and churches and things and practicing and things and, uh, you know, trying to get the break or, you know, writing music for the first time. And it just felt like, you know, Ash were doing what we would, you know, we're the same age. They were doing what we wanted to do. And it felt accessible. It felt raw. There was a stripped downness to it, which was refreshing you know it was a three-piece but you were creating like a a big noise and there were all these pop references there as well like you know if you liked sci-fi and you were into star wars and you like comics and things you you know just from the artwork and yeah. the sound effects it was just instantly accessible and it just grabbed you and felt different
1: yeah yeah i mean i
0: guess you know going back to what i was saying about
1: therapy as well i guess that I mean, for us that was you know a geographical geogra- kind of accessibility I think yeah a lot of people who kind of like around our age we're going to go to their first gigs and stuff like that it, it did feel like a real connection with us in the audience in those early days there, were, there wasn't like this sort of big divide that they, these you know these older cool kids and bands we were, we were the same as the audience
0: mm. you
1: know and you know we, we met like plenty of musicians along the way who who felt the same you know even uh, i remember like we meeting chris Martin, and he was like he, uh, <laughs> a slightly different take on it he was just going like who are these kids <laughs> me. Why are they doing? It? Why are they not doing? It?
0: What was the idea behind um, the is it the of Fighter f- uh, sound effect at the beginning of the record? It, it comes yeah, yeah,
1: on in... lose control. I think I, th- I reckon that was probably
0: Mark's idea. He the, the biggest Star Wars fan. Did you How did he clear that? Was it something that you were able just to use, or did you have to seek someone's approval?
1: I'm, I'm not sure. We did.
0: <laughs> you were signed to. Uh, infectious weren't you in the end uh records um what was that like i mean was there a moment when you kind of just looked at yourself and just each other sorry and just sort of thought crikey this is actually happening now and the realization set in absolutely yeah i mean it was
1: it was just like wow we've we've got a record deal it's just insane is it you know it's like big kids you know and like putting out demo tapes and stuff like that and getting excited we also had parents going you know it's like you know like encourages not to forget about school and stuff like that and going like you know it was like 90% of bands don't get signed blah 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 and you know it's just like all right we've you know proved them wrong (laughs) there you go (laughs) you know um but yeah yeah I mean that was that was great I mean I I think you know our 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 ambitions up to that time was to get a record deal and put a record out and sort of we, we you know we did our I guess it was our first tour of of the uk i think it was probably done i guess it was easter holidays i got, went on the mainland mainland uk and off the back of that we got we got record company interest and then a few months later we were back and that's when we signed the deal you know a couple of months later so it was just like it was like you know this is amazing but it's like it just it just happened like quickly you know what i mean it, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't like you know we, we we were out doing our first
0: tour and just having the time of our lives and and, and we got a record deal. Yeah. As well. so, were you not really able to sort of at the time? I guess oh, I get looking back on it, you, you you're kind of thinking you, you maybe you weren't able to sort of sit back and take stock of what was physically happening. It was just sort of you were you were just going with the flow in in, in some way.
1: Kind of. Yeah. I mean, the uh, Tav our manager was you know he he was great. So he, he we got the, the sort of first single. It was just like felt like we we sort of got our foot in into the music industry with him and then he obviously knew record company people and it's just sort of yeah he'd sort of you know talk to us you know we've got we got these people coming down tonight and stuff and there's a a couple of labels coming down and yeah we yeah we i think we got we got the right one but it was uh, Mm. i I don't know if like part of it felt like okay it's like you know well we got we got our first single out so this is obviously logically the next step and it's like great and it just it just kind of kept rolling every every time. We, it, I think in the early days, it felt like every time we sort of did something, something better would happen. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, yeah. Do yeah. the single, and then return. We get record company interest, and then we sign the deal, and then we make a record, and then we put out a single. And I think I think it was like a, once we signed the record deal. I think our first our first sing, single on the record record label, uh, which was petrol went to number one in the indie charts and it was just like okay great yeah <laughs> it, like, it just it almost felt like we couldn't do any wrong to be honest
0: and were you finding it difficult to write songs for the follow-up i mean i'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit but you, you know you had the whirlwind of 1977 touring relentlessly that and just obviously that would have been an absolute Grinder of a schedule for you, I'm guessing for three years.
1: Even uh, even just to, just to rewind a bit, I think writing na- 1977 was pretty pretty weird <laughs> weird time cause obviously we we done trailer, we kind of like used up all our songs from from the demos. Apart from Girl from Mars, which was one that we kept, in, we purposely kept out in the back pocket. It was like trailer was to kind of that was to, to sort of go out and in, introduce herself to to the world. Yeah, kind of and you know we're still at school at this point as well so it was it was like you know limited touring little bits and pieces but Girl from Mars was kept in the back pocket and then and then I guess you know once that came out that then we were we were kind of doing the touring touring, like international touring of trailer like at that point because we'd been in school up to then so it was it was kind of a weird a little bit of a weird way to do things, but having having girl from Mars kept back, that was like that was the kind of this, this stroke of genius, and that would kind of coincided with our you know our most commercial release with with us being able to go out and just tour as much as we we wanted, so that was great. But then we were kind of like we you know Kung Fu, Girl from Mars, Angel Interceptor, which were written at that point. And the rest of rest of that was either written on like in i don't know like japan in hotel rooms or in australia somewhere or on tour in america or written in the studio i think i think we did in between touring and going into i think i think we'd like maybe december to do to do a bit more writing before we went into the studio to like i think we did in, in on the second of jan first or second of january 1996 to start recording and you know we we had a few I- ideas sort of kicked into shape and we'd done some a little bit of pre-production with Owen Morris but there was there wasn't there wasn't an album worth of material at that point and it was yeah. like a, it was quite you know it was it was quite a learning curve just being in the studio and it was it was pretty intense like trying to write
0: and trying to trying to record all this stuff stuff yeah. at the same time so yeah was any pressure regist- registering with you guys at that point? Were you just like still euthoric about what was happening? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think well, probably, probably for Tim, like towards
1: towards the end of the, album, I remember like Owen oh, at one point saying like we need one more song, and like Tim sort of like having to disappear, and he's like I've come up with this, and that was uh, Lost in You, which is an absolute corker of a song. So, mm. but he was like, I think, I think around that time he kind of thrived in the pressure, and I think there was, there was like a really good. I guess feedback loop between us like you know releasing singles sort of getting pressed and like everything kind of going well just the you know the excitement of the newness, newness of everything and it, it just you know really boosted our confidence and we felt you know that almost like everything was there for the taking.
0: You were kind of touring with some big acts as well across the state so we have Weezo you were, you were supporting that must have been like, uh, quite a, an interesting time as well to get some uh, like feedback from them, I guess, because they were doing extremely well at the time as well.
1: Yeah, well, I think I, I, I really it's, it's one thing I really remember is uh, uh, Rivers would uh, I think there was a lot of tension within Weezer at that point. And Rivers would always, often come out and hang out with us in our dressing room, um, but I because he's you know, he's a, obviously he's a, he's a very shy individual, but you mm. know, he's like eventually he'd open up a little bit and he was just just fascinated by um, in particular Goldfinger and just the the chords in there because you know he'd, he'd gone to uh, he, he went to music to college after the first album and like studied and stuff and he, and he was just going like how do you how do you write chords like that and how do you put it together and just it's like every time I write something it's just like really obvious chords and I try to do uh, I try and do stuff that's a bit Weird, but it never works and yeah it's just like that was that was quite mad having him just like dissecting <laughs> what it just like i don't know just like i just kind
0: of played it and sounded good <laughs> <laughs> this um decision to get a fourth member of the band as well um how long was that bubbling away uh with you guys was it a decision that came quite quickly or is it something you were uh had in had in the sort of in mind for a while um i think i, I I think it was probably the Weezer tour that did
1: it, because just like hear, hearing them tonight, with the, the two, two guitars, you know, we have you know, having recorded, you know, trailer and done the 1977 record, we were very aware of, um, you know, just how many guitars we were throwing onto each song. And, you know, that compared to what we were doing live was a very different thing. So yeah, like touring, touring with Weezer kind of really, kind of cemented that idea. You know it's like we you know there's a hole in the side and we need need it filled with a second guitar mm. so yeah
0: and uh in terms of the like the recruitment of charlotte was that just something you you put out did you know her or was it uh did you have to sort of um audition or at all or what's the situation i think i think tim had his eye on her he'd heard about her through like
1: a, 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 a mutual friend in london and uh he was just like her. I think she she could be good. But she's mm. playing, playing. She's playing in this other band at the minute. But you know, I think we we kind of like we we liked her because she kind of reminded us of us. She was like really young, precocious, kind of like really like great kind of player. I think we we I remember us going down to see Nightmares, and I think you know the the rest of the band are like bloody hell, Asher here. <laughs> And uh, I think I think they they kind of thought they might be getting like a
0: sport tour, but unfortunately for them, we just oh thought... god, <laughs> it's like a Simon Cow X Factor experience. Like yeah, we... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It added a, a a whole new kind of uh, dynamic as well, I guess as well. Um... Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, I think it must be a pretty weird time for Charlotte to join the band because obviously we we toured 1977. We were just about to start recording new material or at least like trying to write the material which proved to be quite difficult think it's been well documented because i think we were pretty burnt out after the touring of 1977 we sort of like yeah we sort of did so much in that record i think we weren't quite prepared i think sort of mentally or emotionally for the for the grind of it and then you know for charlotte to sort of come in come into this when tim's like kind of like suffering from writer's block i think must have, must be quite weird for her,
0: but yeah. How did the um, another thing I, I really remember about the '90s was uh, the the lifeless, ordinary soundtrack um, as well, and and your your kind of part in that movie was it's just such a, I guess a a big indie Britpop feel to that movie and the soundtrack especially and, and your song being like the lead song on that. How did that uh, how did that come about? I think well, I think Danny Danny Boyle. I think when he when he
1: was Apparently, when he was editing *Train Spotting*, he said he 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 used to like edit stuff to. I don't know if he was using ice tracks or, or what, but yeah, he was like, I think he got. It was just around. I think it was just after maybe after *Train Spotting* was just finished. He was kind of gutted that it was all kind of done and dusted before he could get us involved. So he was just like, "I've got to get this band in, in to do this," and we were like, "Yeah, great!" And yeah, it was. Like, it was it was pretty exciting. It was a good, the first thing we did after um, nineteen seventy seven. First thing that we we'd recorded for a long time. It was like I guess we'd we'd been away in tour for I don't know eighteen months or something like that, mm. and like no writing had done during that period. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just just the I think the excitement of being involved in in this like oh God we're we're getting into movies now. This is this is insane. So. Um, yeah, Tim had sort of I get sort of most of the song written, but I think I think that's when also when the first signs of the, the writer's block come in. I remember us going going through it, and like I guess like the the bridge going into the chorus, and he was just like I don't know, like four different chord progressions picked mm-hmm. for. You tell he's just like kind of overthinking this, and just going like it was it was it was a little bit weird, but um, yeah, I think we yeah you know, we we got there with the arrangement and that. And the recording of it—we recorded it a couple of times. Actually, we did it with, um, and anyway, we, we did, we did, we recorded one version of it. And then the record company didn't like it; it was too, a little bit too edgy. But there's a there's a version of it which I think it's used. It's used in the film, sort of, as different arrangement of the original version, which we actually recorded to uh, while we were watching the the, uh, the section of the film that it's used in. So we were actually like trying to get. To get all the changes in the song to go with the the edited video ah, footage yeah yeah which was quite bizarre but yeah we uh, then i think yeah was that before that was before Charlotte joined and then Charlotte joined and then we re-recorded it after Charlotte joined the band as well so it was a it was a it was a bit of a yeah it was a bit of a mad time but yeah yeah but, it was a great thing to be involved in and yeah that was um, that was i guess that was the last thing we did was that we re- released that And then we didn't
0: end to try and write nuclear songs, which was kind of a a very fraught period for us. At the time, were you kind of um, worried about the future of the band, even though you'd you'd released sort of two records? Was it something that was playing on your mind or were you just knew you had to get through it and and get it out there and tour it?
1: Yeah, well, I guess it was just a weird one. I think, you know, having a number one album, you sort of think, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, we kind of know everything now. But yeah, I think we still got a lot of learning to do at that point and that i think that learning all kind of started happening around around the time of the follow-up you know it's a we definitely felt a lot of pressure from the red crew company it was just like you know we're working pretty hard and it's just like to turn, turn the world and it's like you know i think there was a few tours which we probably should have turned down that we didn't and we were just like okay you know it's like yeah we're, kinda, we're, we're kind of tired of this we probably sh- probably could do with a break but you know okay yeah we'll do it and that that happened for i don't know maybe about six months when we probably would have been better just to say no to stuff take a bit of, take take a bit bit of time off and kind of think about you know what what we want to do for the next record and then we'll suddenly finish the touring and it's like right where's the next record and we're like we've well, we only just finished touring the last one we haven't written so we haven't time to write anything mm. so that was yeah yeah, Tim was feeling the pressure, and we were we we went to this like, residential studio to try and you know get away from everything and, and write. But it was just you know it, it was the at that then it was the four of us there plus our live sound engineer who were we'd sort of kept on to kind of you know help help us record demos and stuff like that. So it was just five of us li- living in this weird little cottage farmhouse in sort of somewhere between Gatwick and Brighton and it was just a very isolated like I don't know, we were there for like eight, eight, or eight or 12 weeks I think it was from like sort of end of September up until Christmas something like that and you know I think everyone just kind of wanted to be home but you know knew can we have to be here to write and it was I think Tim, Tim had kind of locked himself away and he was just I think he was coming up with ideas and just going like oh no not good enough not good enough and just wouldn't play stuff to us so yeah it was a it was tough and it eventually sort of like him and Mark were kind of just having a run which was probably the right thing we cleared the air and it's just like just play us whatever you got and we'll start working on it and I think once we sort of got past that things started to flow a little bit more but yeah it was a
0: it was a tough old time. you kind of look back at it? You know, with with some you know fond memories as well, or do you look back at it as as a time of stress and and something that was maybe not necessarily the right thing?
1: Well, I think I think with that album, it's um, it's something that we kind of don't really play a lot of stuff off. I think it, because it does remind us of quite a dark dark heavy time. But I think mm. if we come back. To, I think did we do a listening party on it? And it was like, oh wow, this is like this is it's an interesting record and it's like it's got some it's a it's a weird kind of schizophrenic record because it's, it's either really doing gloomy or it's just really sort of like angst again in your face yeah uh, you know it's like it's a yeah it's a it's an interesting one you know um but there's some some but then there's like you know there's tender moments on it like aphrodite and uh i'm gonna fall as well so it's uh yeah i mean i think i think it's it's a real I guess out of any record that we've done, it's a real document of how we felt emotionally at the time,
0: you know? Yeah. But you, you were lucky in, in a sense that you were able to, to move past it. And I guess then just to continue to write and, and record together. And, uh,
1: yeah,
0: it never, it never really stopped for you. I know there was a, a little period of like a down, down, some downtime for you all. Um, and then you came back with with more recordings and more and more ideas and more albums.
1: Well, I, I guess you know, as I like, as I was saying earlier on, we had this sort of like, you know, from from when we you know put out our first single, it just felt like everything was happening, and it was just getting bigger and bigger, and it was just like we could do no wrong until the writing of that album, and then it felt like everything we, we everything that's happening is going wrong. You know, it's like, you know, like record company expectations after you know having a number one album and i can't remember i think nuclear songs it was it was top top 10 album like none of the singles went top 10 and you know it was like i don't know maybe you know it it was inevitable that something like that would happen considering sort of like what we've been through in such a short period period of time but Mm. i think you know after we sort of did a little bit of touring in that and we sort of like kind of got over it i think i think it was uh after a after a grueling winter uh european tour i think we went to australia to do the big day out after that and it was like it was winter back home it was like summer summer in australia and it was just like you know what things aren't too bad we're, we're in australia having the time of our lives and you know that's kind of, i think that that kind of changed the mood mood of the band we're like you know what we can we'll, we'll survive this and we'll go on we'll make a uh, even better,
0: third record. It just goes to show there was a, there was a real tenacity there to sort of to want to succeed and to, to keep pl- you know ploughing yeah, the, the creativity. Think,
1: I, I think being being so young as well, you know, it's like you know we we've gone through all that, and it's like I guess you know 1998. We were I was 23, <laughs> Tim and Mark were 21, and we're sort of like going through our difficult third third record at that point. You know, so <laughs> it's quite 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 bizarre, you know. Or at that age and we're sort of like, oh yeah, we've we we've, we've we've experienced the highs and we've experienced the lows of the music industry. Yeah.
0: yeah. Did the writing, record, tour kind of repeat cycle kind of then just feel a bit more natural after that and just feel a bit more comfortable for you once you've gone past that those, those sort of turbulent, darker times? You felt yeah. more settled within yourselves and, and and just did the whole process just did it feel more relaxing for or more relaxed for you?
1: Yeah, in a way, I mean, I, I guess you know, after you know, Nuclear Science not performing as well as the, you know, like a lot of people had hoped, I guess we didn't, we didn't have that sort of like pressure of like, where's the follow-up? Because you know, as far as the record company were concerned, there's nothing, there's there's no big number one album to follow up here. Mm. So like, so I think at that point, and especially this was, I guess like you know, late 1999, early 2000 when we're writing that that record, we're like, you know, we, we need to take our time with this and listen, make sure it's right. While, we, while we're writing it, we're seeing a lot of uh, contemporaries as well, like having their, you know, being dropped or having like album shelved and stuff like that. So we're like, you know, the record company said they want to do a third album. We're like, you know, we're going like, this could be our last. So we better make damn sure that we, you know, if it is our last record, we're going out in the, biggest high we can possibly get so that that's what kind of informed the, the writing process and, uh, and yeah we, we just wanted to have something that, that we you know we'd be immensely proud of that would stand up to 1977 prove it wasn't a fluke and that, that was kind of our, our mentality so I think that a lot of the pressure was coming from within ourselves which was you know it, it was that that to us felt like a, a better pressure to have you know it was like we wanted it
0: and then you've got the, the twenty five year anniversary, um, which is coming out. Well, it's out now, isn't it? As well, the Teenage Wild Wildlife album.
1: Yeah, yeah, like well, actually, come out earlier this year. And uh, we, yeah, we would have been touring that if it wasn't for uh, for the uh, current predicament we find Yeah. Uh, so you know, That was that, that that was what we were touring to promote back in uh, back in March.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is now we'll be celebrating our twenty fifth anniversary, which isn't really our 25th anniversary <laughs> i don't know why we, i don't know where they get the 20 something to hang it on i think it was uh, probably yeah it would have been 25 years since go from mars i guess yeah um, so but what no, was not going to be 26 years when we turn next year so
0: it doesn't have the right ring to it does it i suppose
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's that been like putting that that sort of catalog of work together and you know you've got some great discs and some uh, booklets and things in there. What what was that experience like putting that together?
1: Yeah, it was kind of cool, it,
0: but also weird in a way because we we we
1: had started working on a new album at that point as well. We, we knew it was the uh, BMG who bought all our back catalog. We knew it was going to happen, but we didn't realize that they wanted to get that out like straight after Islands. So we 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 were working working on an album, but you know, it was like it was like okay, okay, you want to do it now? Fine. It was like, and it was a. Uh, yeah, it's a, a kind of agonizing process just to try, try to na- narrow down the entire history of, of the band that's sort going of to fit on like, you know, two bits of vinyl. So it was like, yeah, trying try to get the tracklist done. I think once we got it done, once we got it out, we were just like, ah, you know what, this is kind of cool. You know, looking back and it like, turn, turn, turn around Europe and it was like, this is great. And We're revisiting some songs that were on there that we hadn't played live for ages as well. So it it kind of felt cool. It was like it was like yeah, this is a kind. Of, it's it's good to kind of celebrate the whole past. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we'll we'll get on with the, the new record after that. But yeah, it's a uh, it's it's cool. Yeah, I'm glad we did it.
0: So it's the future of Ash then? What do you think is? I mean, are you now? now that you're kind of uh, sort of, well, you were touring this album and you, you were writing, you say writing some more material. Is, is it just still to keep together and st- still write some new songs while it's interesting and you still can?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're uh, we've got plenty left in us. Um Yeah. We've got, you know, I guess, you know, the, the this, spanner this in the works of, uh, of this year is, uh, you know, it's a pain, but you know, we've, it was, well, it's, it's been an interesting time as well. Like, after we cancelled the tour, I think Tim got stuck over here because he was living in America and he couldn't get home. So we cancelled the tour on the 16th, and I think it was at like 4 a.m. on the 17th. The flights back to New York were like, like a it was a no-fly kind of thing going on, so he didn't get back home until like mid-July. But he was going back to New York to move back to London. So it's it's kind of like throwing the throwing the course of this album off a little bit, and, you know it should have been mm. finished, finished by now. But he's just you know he's got settled in London, and uh, he's just starting to send 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 me and Mark like uh, uh, sort of finished finished songs with vocals on them, lyrics done. So yeah, we we want to get that out next year. Well, obviously we've got we've got the touring and the best of to do as well. So it's so a it's a little bit crazy, but you know. it's, For me, the uh, the record that we're going to put out next year, like I finished the drums to that, I think in like 2018. Oh wow! Yeah, it's 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 pretty mental. So I'm 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 ready to do another record. (laughs) You're done and dusted.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's uh, it's you know, but you know, that's the great thing about being in the band. You know, it's like nothing ever quite repeats itself in the same same manner on on any cycle. So. Yeah, you, well,
0: you, you get used to dealing with with the weird shit, but yeah, <laughs> we definitely do more
1: weird shit
0: this year. Yeah, well, I mean, you're going back to the 90s in terms of your work ethic, I guess, then, if you're, you know, you're album recording, touring, and then, you know, wanting to get chomping at yeah, the bit again yeah. for record. Yeah. the record. So old habits die hard.
1: Definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think. I think if you know if we'd had our way over the last five years, we probably would have put out three albums. But you know, it's like, right, you know, record companies and like, touring and agents are like, you know, you don't want to oversaturate the market, blah blah blah. But I think we're, I think we've had enough of that. I think we should want to like put out as much as we possibly can. Yeah,
0: well, I look forward to hearing uh, the new the new record, and hopefully, we'll, getting out to see you guys play again uh, live would yeah. be, uh, would be amazing. Um, I think we. Absolutely. I'm into that. I think uh, I, when I do uh, back to Britpop, the, the, the noughties era, I'll have to have you back on to talk about all the other things that we never get round to. Uh, no, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the career and output, uh, it, it, there's there's so much more to go over. Um, I have yeah. to stick to the remit though. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, well, we'll gladly come back for part two. Then we'll come back for part two. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Rick, for coming on. It's been really, really great talking to you about Ash. Uh, likewise thanks for having me take care it was an absolute pleasure man big thanks to rick again it was an absolute pleasure talking to him about ash uh, really fascinating story and still loads more to cover you never know there might be a part two if i ever do any more Naughties podcasts just putting it out there it might be a thing so this is the bit of the podcast as loyal listeners will know is where i ramble so Again, thank you for all your support. If you want to support me financially, buy me a coffee on Ko-Fi. The link is in the show notes. It's three quid. It's a one-off payment, or if you can pay more than that, that's amazing. Thanks to all those who've done it so far. If you can, follow me on social media. I'm over there on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Back to Britpop. And also, if you're able to, and I know I say this every episode, but write a review, rate, and subscribe on Apple iTunes Uh, the reviews really help and the ratings really help it's a really big crowded market for podcasts as you probably are aware and uh, those sort of things really help so that's all the begging and the waffling out of the way Uh, I hope to see you again on the next episode of Back to Britpop take care